Hi, we're Eleanor and Carrie. We're the hosts of the Good Robot Podcast. And join us as we ask the experts, what is good technology? Is it even possible? And what does feminism have to bring to this conversation? If you want to learn more about today's topic, head over to our website where we've got a full transcript of the episode and a specially curated reading list with work by or picked by our experts. But until then, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hi, we're thrilled to be bringing you the second half of our conversation with Bridotti. In this part, Bridotti discusses the culture wars, genealogies of black feminisms, the relationship between gender and capitalism, the rise of neoliberal feminism, and the effect that it's had on solidarities between generations of feminists. And of course, the feminist posthuman project. She takes us from Virginia Woolf to Alice Walker, Paul Preciado to Shulamit Firestone. She explains why Firestone predicted some of the reproductive possibilities we now have on offer, but failed to see that capitalism, and not revolution, would be the source of these reproductive freedoms. She explains why corporations like IBM, that have been thinking about gender as a spectrum, inherit these ideas from John Money and the gender reassignment clinics back in the 60s, and why most good predictions about capitalism can be attributed to Gilles Deleuze and Félix Grattari. We hope you enjoy the show. When we think about, you know, what do ethical engagements with non-human others look like on the one hand, and then on the other, which groups have historically been denied human rights and freedoms and are still clamouring for their humanity to be recognised, how do we attend to that without falling back into this old understanding of the human? And luckily, we have Sylvia Winter, we have Hortense Spillers, we've got Mel Chen, who are helping us to negotiate this very tricky headache in a way that is ethical, that is attentive to the marginalised and to the people who have suffered most from this transhumanist vibe to reclaim the human. I, I agree with you. Um, I, I, think that the, but I think that the entire <clears throat> feminist posthumanist project starts from the perspective of those who are not fully human. Uh, if you read the Cyber Manifesto, we're looking at 1985. Um, and if you're looking at um, Sulamith Firestone, it's 1971 or 72. And um, both are uh, techno-utopian texts that take into account uh, race and class and the environment in, in, in a very spectacular manner. So I want to, uh, I'm a bit concerned, if I may, at, at the short-term memory that comes with these discussions. And I know it's because of internet and several things, but it, I just put to press a book that has a, a, a bibliography of almost, you know, 12 pages. I, I just want to remind us that there are long history to this and that there has never been a moment where the visions of the sexualized, racialized, natural idols was um, completely um, divided or segregated in feminism. Uh, I would challenge that very strongly. There are different degrees and different historical moments, but intersectionality has been there all along. Even at the height, is, at the height of womanism, I think I remember Alice Walker, womanism. It was black femalehood. I mean, I'm making up new words here. Um, her dialogues with, with Audre Lorde, Audre Lorde's dialogues with Adrian Rich about race and sex, but also about being females, not feminine, females, chromosomically, uh, you know, socially females, and with all the complications of that and, and the openness of that, because these are not steady, fixed gender roles. These are chunks of 
meat, flesh activated by a set of factors, some genetic, some social, a lot of them personal identification, wishes, desires, and the complexities of that. I think that's what feminism always brought in, very material. And our favorite matter has been the body. And for a long time in the early phases, we had, uh, feminism had to reclaim femaleness. Remember Virginia Woolf's love for, for Vita Sackville West. She's more female than feminine. It's the moment when Virginia Woolf is a queer thinker. And that femaleness is animal, is, 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 is I mean, she, she describes Vita as like some sort of parrot, some sort of a weird um, uh, kind of um, non-human. Uh, she's, of course, a transgender Orlando. You get the opening. Sexuality is the opening of multiple possibilities. And the matter of the body, that sex weight matter as able to be sexed in a multiplicity of ways. Now, in relation to that, the gender system is simply a binary mechanism of capture and control that reduces the enormous multiplicity, polymorphous perversity of sexuality in humans and non-humans, because sexuality is everywhere and is not a prerogative of humans. Gender is a mechanism of, of, of control. So you get, for me, materialism is the at the beginning always um, intelligent, self-organized sex weight matter that gets for of course we perceive it through grids of interpretation and language that are completely uh, colonized by premises but we're also smart enough to know that that's what feminism is what anti-racism is what anti-fascism is to look at the languages that we use to define uh, the human and, and and i completely agree more recent Black feminist theories and winter with man one, man two, extremely useful. Things get much more subtle. I think you look at the at the critical epistemology as complex theories, theories of complexity that, that build on each other and make certain tradition possible. My plea at the moment is for continuity with the older generations. Do not break everything up because that makes us weaker. Um, do not, uh, there, is, there, is a, uh, there is a selective memory at work. I don't know whether anybody even reads Alice Walker, um, who is extraordinary. Um, oh, it's because she says woman is, then we don't read it. What does that even mean? Contextualize and look at what is being put under that category at that particular moment in history and how complex the discussions are. And then remember that while all this goes on, advanced capitalism at the same time is bringing in a technological revolution that is going to absolutely deterritorialize the gender system completely, as we said before. New technologies coming in, uh, Preciado is right, the pill is here, some landmark moment where technology really comes into the body. And that's a point of non-return. From that moment on, gender system is dead. Uh, advanced capitalism doesn't need a gender system. It needs a multiplication of genders because that's how they make their money. And, of course, technology allows us to niche and frame our multiple modes of belonging in ways that are compatible with multiple forms of consumerism. So there is a very simple, banal way of reading also the, the, the multiplication of gender. Jean-François Lyotard wrote it back in, again, in the 80s, in the, in, in the inhuman, um, saying a sexual difference will completely collapse because advanced capitalism needs multiplications of things. The speed is such that we will multiply. So let's multiply and have a thousand sexes, but let's also remember that the matter that we are made of is the matter that everything is made of. 
the, the elementary particles that we are made of are the elementary particles of life. So let's bring in uh, then physics and Karen Barad does that, Vicky Kirby does that, I also do that in my own manner. So we can create continuities and discontinuities and then we need to bring in our political philosophies of equalities and inequalities, but bring them in touch with contemporary scientific theories. We need to stay attuned to that and not defend an, an historical 18th century vision of the human that we would uh, try to resemble. We don't have the time to do that because of the speeds of everything else. There is an argument here about acceleration and speed. And I really do advance capitalism with Deleuze and Guattari. I read it as systems of accelerations and speeds, not with Marx and systems of dialectical oppositions that will be resolved in a sort of a teleological vision of history. I don't see that. I think capitalism has mutated uh, in a direction that brings us to where Elon Musk is going uh, and something that we need to, to intervene upon. So, so my posthuman feminism is a call for intervention on these debates uh, not say, oh, you know, that's advanced capitalism, let it be. No, we have to have something to say because advanced capitalism has brought in an equal opportunity program in their space exploration. 26 positions open right now for women, disabled, and other to become astronauts. So there is a de facto kind of selection going on. And we can't just stand there and say, oh, now that doesn't concern me. This is of the greatest importance. And we have equality-minded feminism written into this brave new world. What about all the other rainbow feminisms that we carry? Do we want them to go on Mars? Do we want them to become posthuman? Do we create a new party of people that we take care of this planet? I think it's discussions like this that I would like to see much more directed outwards towards material issues than to identity inward issues. It's not a moment to be inwards, it's the moment to be in the world. Uh, Stacia Lemo is right, thinking today is the stuff of the world out there. I love how you weave in and out of gender and capitalism, because of course, if we think about what companies are doing with the multiplication of gender, what the Facebooks and IBMs of this world are up to. There's Facebook in a 2014 iteration of its software. Instead of the gender binary, when you log, you know, when you log in, you're allowed to have a list of 56 other options. Now, what happens to those options when we go into the back end, into the system itself? But also, a Silicon Valley, I think Rotenberg writes that in her book on liberal feminism, uh, Silicon Valley in their normal health package have a reproductive technology option for women uh, or anybody for that matter uh, who wants to uh, reproduce and they encourage very much fecundation and freezing of embryos and reimplantation on a later date after you've done your career, either implantation in yourself or in a surrogate carrying uh, person. And, and they have that built into their standard health package. So reproductive technology is an extension of a type of liberal feminism that would allow the woman to then have her career, but also have the family and creates a whole reproductive industry. Melinda Cooper is really good on this, uh, gestating mothers, surrogacy mothers or carriers, that completely multiplies gestational and um, caring sort of uh, pregnancy. And Sophie Louis' wonderful work on surrogacy and saying that we should make this now the new kind of templates of uh, making children. And in fact, advanced capitalism has already done it by writing into the share. I think Sheryl Sandberg did that, uh, making sure that women could then 
recombine labor, <laughs> productive labor and reproductive labor. Quite extraordinary. I think we need to engage with things like this and say, okay, so, I mean, advanced capitalism is disadvanced in thinking the multiplication of possible ways of being mother, female, caring, parent. And uh, surely feminism needs to have something to say here <laughs> um, and something practical to say. And being against this is uh, cute, but it's not helpful. Um, this, this is the world that we're living in. It's, Simone de Beauvoir didn't have a, mo- a world like this. Uh, Shulamit Firestone wanted a world like this, but she thought that it would become a revolution. And in fact, what what came of her revolution is advanced capitalism building reproductive technology into their idea of female autonomy. That's what has become. Because capitalism, contrary to what Shulamit Firestone thought, does not break. Because she was a Marxist and Marx got that one wrong. Capitalism bends. Capitalism adapts and capitalism multiplies. The Lesinguatari get this one right. It's not a, a catastrophe. We just need a different conceptual frame, different speeds to intervene on this and to say, okay, then, you know, free reproductive technologies for everybody. Um, let's have it all the way. Let's have this discussion. And of course, the conservatives will come in and say, oh, no, no, human life is sacred. But if human life is sacred, why does Silicon Valley write reproductive technology into the standard health package for women, business women? What are we talking about? You see the the complications of our time, the, the paradoxes of a period of enormous transition. And I always look at the uh, you know, silver lining. There are great opportunities here, but we have to face up to what is happening and not say, oh, you know, the posthuman is something that doesn't concern me. It's the world that we're living in. It has enormous repercussions. They are redesigning the human. I would like to be part of the conversation and redesign it on the side of the dehumanized others, sexualized, racialized, naturalized, not fully humans. We have ideas, imaginings, templates for how we we can become post-human otherwise. Give us a chance listen to what we have to say, and let's get involved in these discussions before the good robots become not so good after all. <laughs> okay, but, but reproductive technologies <laughs> are... out of time. Huh? <laughs> well, well, reproductive technologies are expensive, and so capitalism is much better being able to stick its fingers in those pies and to resolve those issues for the people that reproduce that want to do it later on. But what about things that money can't buy? So with the Facebook example that I was talking about before, of course... If they sell the data for the people that use Facebook to advertisers with a reduced back into the binary, everybody goes, all 56 categories go back into male, female, other. IBM creating its million face database. Instead, they said, instead of making gender a binary, what we'll do is put people on a spectrum where you get assigned a fraction. But then who decides who is male zero? binary zero and who looks like the who epitomizes the female one you're still assigning people a gender within this binary you're still trapped That's in that a place very interesting question i think there are people working on this both algorithmically and genetically um the, the kind of but the idea of, of gender as a spectrum again is not new i, I think uh, i think john money and the people of the gender reassignment clinics back in the 60s were already looking at a continuum of multiplications of possibilities. I would like to see this discussion happen in a calm and productive manner, as opposed to its being weaponized 
into culture wars whereby people plant a flag into whatever portion of the territory they consider most uh, truthful or adequate to their self-understanding and fight everybody else who doesn't pertain to that. And that, that works across the board. It's not I'm, I'm, I'm my generation as well as others. I think we need to stop the culture wars in this. These culture wars are also manipulated politically by the right to a very large extent to actually introduce a, a very strict measures, certainly as the case in the UK and in some ways in the Catholic world. So if we could just have this conversation, but what this conversation would assume is the explosion of the notion of the human and the explosion of the gender system. We are not even going to agree on that. Even that basic cartography, as you know very well, proves very, very controversial and contentious that people would fight it because they don't approve of it, because they uh, are scared of it, or because they genuinely don't see it. And I think that that is the true crisis in self-understanding. It's as if we had this uh, kind of attachment, anthropocentric attachment to, to a vision of the human and its sexual difference that has been so kind of um, institutionalized by habit and tradition that it has gone into a system. And here, psychoanalysis is really interesting, really important, because Jacques Lacan had said it when he failed Lucy Rigueray's PhD, that sexual difference by now has become a sort of human nature. And Irigaray argued, and I agreed with her, but of course it can change. Um, it's historical. And, and Lacan replied, yes, but the psychic mechanisms involved in identifying with those imaginary constructions of masculinity and femininity are so deeply ingrained that in order to make this change, we have to go very carefully and work on it. So I would, I would really also plea for a sort of a understanding a bit of the of the psychic mechanism of identifications. Identifications are not just willful choices. A lot of them are unconscious drives that you know, take you places where you didn't even know you particularly wanted to go. When you, where do you fall when you fall in love? In an unknown, uncharted territory. And you fall, I fall in love with the most bizarre people and ideas, and we all do. It's, it's a sort of a free fall into the unknown. And this is what sexed gender identities are, um, in the name of love, in the name of adventure, in the name of desire. Uh, but we need to be a little bit cautious and maybe a bit more caring uh, about how each of us at the moment are going about finding our position and keep the eyes on the price, which is political subjectivity, and how do we intervene in these discussions, uh, which are aiming, after all, at redefining the entire spectrum of the human, not just uh, our precious sacred sexualities. So broader perspective, take this seriously, stop weaponizing uh, the debates, and intervene as a community on what is a de facto uh, redefinition of the human, I would say explosion, but this can lead to amazingly important things. And if we, you know, if we take the posthuman turn seriously, uh, so it's not as I'm particularly enamored of posthumanism, it's just it seems to me the world that I'm living in. Uh, Shulamit Firestone minus the revolution. I mean, that's not nothing for a feminist. <laughs> in some ways, a catastrophe, in some others, an incredible opportunity. Uh, so what the revolution would be today, and what Ari said, it is molecular. It is at the molecular level of our own, uh, as you say, taking a position along a spectrum, and then within that reconstituting relations 
that would allow us to discuss, to debate, to agree, to differ, but still function as a political force, um, still have something to say uh, about enhancement and which model of enhancement we would take, let, let alone going on Mars. Um, uh, and here, disability studies have done great work on this, saying, you know, I'm, I'm otherwise enabled, uh, let me be. Uh, and maybe being otherwise sexed, otherwise gender, otherwise enabled is, is what we need to, to plead for. So not, not autonomy, but, but multiplicity, heterogeneity, the real, real um, biodiversity almost. Um, uh, and can we still be a political force uh, in, within such heterogeneity? As feminists, LBGT people, can we join forces on the things that matter? And what are the things that matter? Uh, I would say the planet is a big one. <laughs> Oxygen, <laughs> air, <laughs> water, the things that matter are very material. And in some ways, we should keep our eyes on that against the transhumanist denial of care for our poor, damaged planet and the earthlings that live uh, upon it. Well, Rosie, it's been an absolute pleasure. If you could be here to solve the problems of getting AI ethics to attend to heterogeneity and the culture wars, which I think have reached a new low in the UK, sadly, with everybody yes, you on have, both uh, sides. I, I read, yeah, everywhere, but we need, to, we need to make a truth here. We need to see that, that nobody gains from it and, and uh, my generation carries great responsibilities, but we need, we need to talk, as we used to say. <laughs> Uh, but they are being manipulated by your government to, to an extent that, that strangely enough, in, in the more Catholic world, they're not. There's a bit more kind of relaxed. Terrible time ahead, but um, yes, the, there's too much political manipulations of this. We should become aware of it and, and be more cautious. And, but, you know, relational ethics, it's all about do we want, could we be bothered Relating, you know, it's, it's, it's what, um, and that's where again, indigenous um, philosophies are so, there's profound generosity because they're not anthropocentric. The fundamental relation is to the planet, to, to the earth, to the air, to the water. Humans come after. And maybe if we could become animal in that sense, become indigenous, become other, ground ourselves and, and realize how little time we have before um, temperatures reach levels that would just simply not allow us to survive. Is that not a reminder of what really matters in, in the matter that feminist materialism says matters? <laughs> to quote many of my favorite uh, colleagues and friends. This episode was made possible thanks to our generous funder, Christina Gore. It was written and produced by Dr. Eleanor Drage and Dr. Kerry Macrath and edited by Laura Zamulio-Neaton.